and welcome to another episode of the Daily Red Podcast. I am your host, Bianca Wiley, arts enthusiast, performer and media creative. You will hear stories about the projects gracing the Queensland art scene and the artists' behind-the-scenes journeys. Sit back, relax and let's get into it. Today I am joined by Q Music CEO Chris Stewart and we're going to discuss the upcoming Valley Fiesta, which is celebrating its 25th year from this coming Friday the 25th until Sunday the 27th of November. So, Chris, as the festival celebrates its 25th year, can you tell us how and why the festival initially started and how it has grown since it first began? Yeah, so sort of in the late 90s, there was a lot of events starting as kind of street festivals and outdoor festivals in Australia, you, across Australia, sort of Ligon Street Festa in Melbourne. and It was a real time, I think, as we approached the millennium and um, the Olympics and things like that, there was a real street celebration vibe. So you see events like this that sort of sprung up all across the country and the ones that I think are still here and perhaps even growing today are those like the Ligon Street Festa, which has got a very particular Italian theme and blah, 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 or Valley Fiesta, and which celebrates uh, Fortitude Valley and everything that makes it unique and different and why people would come and uh, enjoy it. And so for us, um, one of the things we really celebrate is the music industry here in Fortitude Valley, which is, which is really strong. Um, but also, you know, there's other things that people love about Fortitude Valley. There's the dining and food experiences. There's, uh, it's very accepting. There's a lot of communities that find their place in the valley. And I think there's a real uh, opportunity for people to really be themselves in the valley. And I think that's always been part of its character. And it's those kind of things that the event celebrates. For sure, the valley is a wonderful spot for especially emerging young artists mm. to play at the venues or... Have a fun night in the town with your friends. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's venues of all different sizes in the valley. And I think that, you know, you've got small venues that are sort of um, 30, 40, 50 seats. And you've got obviously things like the four, which could be 3,000 seats. So because of that, I think you can spend a night in the valley and there's just an amazing array of different kind of music. And like you say, there's a lot of artists got discovered in the valley or certainly performing in Fortitude Valley was a real... Uh, part of how they grew into becoming the performer they are today. For sure, and how has the festival grown since it first started, and was it greatly impacted by COVID at all? Mm, yeah, it's sort of a, a lot. It's a really interesting question. There's been different versions of Valley Fiesta, as I guess Fortitude Valley has changed across those 25 years, and the sort of the version probably in the mid 2010s was almost maybe when it was at its largest, late 2010s, and. There was, as well as the stuff that would happen inside the venues, there was quite often things that would happen out in the streets and, you know, big street stages and big free events outside. And um, when COVID hit, that was pretty tough on the Valley especially because so much of it is driven by nighttime activity. Um, And whether that's food and beverage and restaurants and bars, but certainly music venues. And once there was capacity restrictions, it became really tricky to run those venues successfully. And a lot of the last, you know, those sort of couple of years of sort of 2020 and 2021, even to the start of this year, a lot of the focus was really on how we keep these venues alive. And there was a bunch of things that funding sources and things that were started to try and help support that. And one of the parts of it was 
we sort of repurposed a bit of the Valley Fiesta money to help underwrite a lot of artists' fees to be able to go into venues and things, just to keep them viable as performance spaces. Now that we're out of COVID, he says touch wood, but I think we're pretty much out of COVID, um, it seems like there's a different version of the event and allows us to kind of grow it in a different way. So this will be certainly larger than the last few years, but I think a lot of the activity now in the Valley is much larger than the last few years. If you go here again on a Saturday night, you really do see so many venues active again and so many people out performing uh, and enjoying themselves and having a great time. So what we'll do for this is sort of like um, come at it with the view of how do we again go back to what the heart of this event is, which is celebrating what's unique about Fortitude Valley. So on the Friday night, we'll work into sort of King Street with Tivoli Years and there's a lot of restaurants. That precinct has really sprung up since COVID, really, with all these new restaurants and spaces there. And what we'll do there is a big sort of food event a food fiesta i guess we'll close the streets still have some outdoor stages and music is a part of it because music's very much part of everything here in the valley but it'll allow us to celebrate the restaurants and the tastes of fortitude valley on the friday night saturday during the day we want to be a little bit more uh daytime and trader focused a bit more kind of artisan focused there's a lot of uh, galleries and boutiques and design studios and all sorts of things through the valley and a lot of what we'll do during the day there is in all of the laneways we'll have um, these three sort of laneway events which will have a market focused much more chance to come and shop still again with music but a chance to experience other things that surround music in the valley then Saturday night we'll take over 10 venues what we'll do is throw them all open for free and then we've programmed headliners and supports into all of those venues and people will be able to walk from venue to venue throughout the night just seeing everything for for free there which will be really fantastic I think um, and then on the Sunday we're sort of like celebrating um, one of the big parts of Fortitude Valley which is sort of the unique communities and things that that take place here so there's a number of events at like um, Quiver and, and Netherworld and um, over at uh, Elements Collective and a bunch of spaces, well, Triple Z, a bunch of spaces that are actually firing up on the Sunday to sort of speak of those sort of unique communities that are doing there and what they're doing that's so special. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned the laneways. Mm. And I feel like they're not really a well-known part of Brisbane. And there are a lot of even hairdressers in mm. those little areas. Do you think that through the festival, people will discover a lot of these hidden sort of gems of Brisbane? Yeah, and they've also been changing and evolving a lot since before COVID and now. It's a great chance for people to discover or rediscover them. So where we are here, behind us is California Lanes. This is sort of this, the, the corner here was famously the California Cafe many years ago. Now it's a 7-Eleven, but that <laughs> tells you something. Um, and... All of these buildings that front on a Brunswick Street, all of them have sort of a rear laneway entrance. And a lot of them now have opened up into the laneway. There's further seating out there. There's design studios and a lot of shopping areas and stuff through there now. Similar over in Wind Lane where there's some great um, restaurants and stuff there. But there's also uh, Stranded, which is a new venue that's just sort of opened up there. The Zoo backs onto Wind Lane, some great venues there. And of course, Bakery Lane, which comes off Anne Street, again has 
great little um, boutique bars and places for cocktails and little small restaurants and things. So a lot of those I think it's great for people to get a chance to see again. Um, and there's great shopping there during the day. There's a really great chance to come in. And all very handmade, very maker kind of spaces for a lot of those I think is really good as well. And how is this year's festival providing an inclusive and accessible, diverse program for people to actually enjoy? Yeah, it's really interesting. One of the things on our mind a lot is both making sure that there's sort of a diversity of voices, and that can mean uh, a number of different things. Um, it, it certainly could mean uh, people from sort of a First Nations or culturally diverse background. That's obviously a really important part of what we do here. There's artists like Chloe Terrell and people like that 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 feature in it, and Jem Casadaly on the Friday, but. Uh, one of the things that's also been on our mind a bit with this one, and, and it's I think one of the things that's really growing in how much it features on the front of people's minds is making sure that those in our community that are living with a disability both get a sense, a chance to experience these events, but also express themselves as artists. So there's uh, people like um, Alter Boy who are really interesting. They, they, they the artists from Alter Boy actually met because they. Uh, um, formerly deaf, even though they create music and create pop music, and they yeah, and they have sign language as a big part of what they do. It's a very theatrical kind of performance, but it's just great music, you know. And so they're both people. There are also there are obviously non-binary people that are that are part of Alter Boy, and, and equally people that that are working through how um, a life of living with a disability has led them to point of still being a really interesting creative artist, uh, Volley Kay is another one people we really know in town who's great. And also over at, um, we're creating a space called Siren over at Stranded that's a very uh, LGBT, LGBT inclusive and uh, prioritises sort of queer artists, uh, programmed by Joel Devereaux who's a really well-known sort of queer curator and programmer in town. And I think that will give a great opportunity for um, LGBTIQ performers and audiences to have a real safe and fun place to sort of come as a part of it. And I think that's really on our mind is you want to make sure that your events can serve as wide a representation of your community as it can. And you need to sort of be very proactive about that. That doesn't just take care of itself. It really needs thought and care. For sure. And you mentioned disability, art, artists with disabilities. And recently I did a story about a young boy who was non-verbal, but he connected with his grandfather who played the accordion. And music is really healing. And, and then you mentioned the LGBTQ um, side as well. And I think Brisbane is really leading in Australia alongside Melbourne, our scene in the arts for mm. the LGBTQ community. As you know, you created the Melt Festival, which is the powerhouse at the moment. So Get along. Why not? It's a great place for LGBTQ artists in Australia. And, and moving on from that, how is this year's festival allowing local artists to share their music with the community? Well, I think the best thing it's doing is paying them to do it, which is a nice way if someone's going to... If you go to share something, it's nice when someone pays you to share it, which is always really good. So, and um, uh, Valley Fiesta is sort of owned and supported by Brisbane City Council, something that they really care about. And what they've done is sort of funded and empowered us to, to do this. So without their uh, financial support, but also logistical support, it would be really challenging to do. And I know a real priority for, for them is making sure that the artists at Valley Fiesta have a real connection to Brisbane, spring from our community and perform here. The vast, vast, vast majority live and work here. So I think 
um, Brisbane artists knowing they've got a platform at a festival like this where they're paid appropriately and they're given a great forum to present themselves. I think that's really important. So I think from the Brisbane City Council perspective, that's where the reason for doing this. You know, they're very focused on the people that live and work here now and they want those that that are part of Brisbane to be able to see their artists on their stage. And I think that you brought, you raised Brisbane Powerhouse, not me, so I can bring it up though. But when I was there, one of the things that was a real importance to me was always the Brisbane and Brisbane Powerhouse. I feel like um, one of the things that, whether it's a precinct like Fortitude Valley or a venue like the Powerhouse, one of the things you can do is you create great advocates and loyalty when you really belong somewhere, when people can see their artists on the stage, you build up a long relationship with that investment. And a lot of those artists will bring an audience because it's not just a show that's landed from out of town and you're trying to talk people into why they should come. It's something that has been created here and speaks of this moment in Brisbane. And I think, and because of that, quite often these artists have an audience they bring with them, people that have seen them in the past, that feel connected to them, feel a part of what they're making and want to be there as they get a chance to present it again. So I feel like that investing in local artists both is great for sort of just a kind of moral reason, feels nice to do it, it's good karma, Um, but equally on a real pragmatic level, it has a lot of positives in what it brings with audiences and, and what you mean to people and what you are able to offer. For sure, and, uh, and when we first met a few weeks ago at the Singing in the Rain, which was wonderful, um, I said to you the reason why I do this podcast is to shine a light on what happens in the Brisbane art scene, mm. and I think it's a very special scene that we have here in Australia. I have lived in Sydney and the Sunshine Coast, and I kind of call it the Goldilocks effect, mm. Sydney too fast-paced, uh, Sunshine Coast a little bit too relaxed, but here in Brisbane, we have a real community feeling. Yeah. I, feel, I feel like even though it's a city, everyone, you either know someone through someone else or Cube Effect, um, mm-hmm. Valley Fiesta, are all things that the Brisbane City Council try and promote and it's so great to see. And yeah. How long does it actually take to prepare for this festival to go ahead each year? Uh, that's a very interesting question. It's, it's what you said about sort of Sydney, and I love the Sunshine Coast, by the way. I think the Sunshine Coast is, is an amazing part of the that's world. I was yeah. just there last week, sat in a spa, and they had a lovely meeting afterwards. It was perfect. Was too. There you go. Could have done this, we could have done this <laughs> podcast then. How convenient that would have been. Um, and it's interesting in Sydney. I feel like the thing that gets against Sydney now, you sort of mentioned fast pace, and, and that's both true and the opposite is true at the same time. It is so... Sydney just builds frustrations. It's hard to get around. You might want to go and see something, do something, but, oh, 45 minutes in traffic and it's just over there and it's expensive and it actually puts up barriers that stop you being able to do things. They don't actually help you doing things. The funny thing about Brisbane is it's, that's, as you said, that sort of ideal size where there, is, there isn't anything that a big city offers that isn't in Brisbane. You know, if you live in a big city, and I'm sure you and probably a bunch of other people that, that listen to this have lived in cities larger than than Brisbane and you know they have more potentially and different versions but there's not things here that um, you notice the absence of because it's become a large city and a very sophisticated city um, and I think it's an interesting 
to be someone that wants to live and work and create somewhere. It's really a great place for that. And I think we'll continue to see that over the next 10 to 20 years. It's a great place for that. It's only going to continue consolidating. And how long does it take to make an event like this? Um, probably a little bit longer than we had this time. <laughs> it's challenging. We came off... Um, Partly this is our fault. Partly it's the challenge. We've been doing it for the last few years. Uh, but this year is the first time we've now got a multiple year opportunity to do it for Brisbane City Council. We've been sort of doing it year by year for probably 20 of the previous 25 years, if we did the math. But all is sort of like fun, a lot of one-off events <laughs> year after year. Now we're sort of a longer runway with it, which will be really useful for us to be able to, to plan with that. And we sort of started a bit later and also had Big Sound just before it. So even as we were trying to put this together, Big Sound is such an enormous um, event, as you would know. It's a, a really big thing to sort of um, attack. So the, what you really need with this is you're sort of working on a series of timelines. You're working from kind of eight weeks out, which is when a bunch of stuff needs to be announced. You're probably doubling that 16 weeks out is probably when you're trying to finish making a bunch of decisions so you can contract it and roll it out and probably another eight weeks before that you're probably trying to finish a whole bunch of uh, sort of strategic broader decisions about what it might look like so you actually probably have a series of milestones and it probably takes look probably about six months really to put something like this together and then a bunch of time in between it where you're sort of considering it and testing it and looking at some other things you might do in the future. Mm. I've always found what goes on behind the scenes really interesting because mm. even though it's only a three-day event, there's months of planning, lots of Absolutely. people and lots of decisions to be made that goes on behind the scenes. Now, you've just mentioned 10 to 20 years. Yeah. With the Olympics coming yeah. to town, what do you see Brisbane's art scene evolving to and becoming? What an interesting question. Um, I Well, there's a whole bunch of things that I think whatever happens in 10 years' time, we probably need to start now. And I think looking at what the legacy of the Olympics can be for sort of an arts, cultural and entertainment industry here in town is something we need to start making some planning around now. And I think that... Um, ranges from what's the kind of investment we need to make in our infrastructure, what's the, what are we trying to do around um, skilling up of people and human infrastructure we need to do now, if we're looking at um, sporting environments and things that we're creating for the Olympics, what is going to be the use of them before and afterwards? Because a 4,000-seater volleyball venue in the Sunshine Coast is not going to be able to still be that three months after the Olympics. And if it's not a music venue, say, then you have an idea of what it is going to be. So I think one of the great things that the arts and entertainment offer is it offers actually an ongoing purpose for a lot of the spaces that we'll do. And we need to be thinking really strongly about that now because this hopefully will be a transformational moment for what arts and culture is here. And also, I think, for the idea of what southeast Queensland is. I think, actually probably 10 years from now, this idea that Sunshine Coast, Brisbane, Gold Coast, and even maybe Toowoomba are considered these vastly different cities, I don't think that will exist anymore. I think that the increasing need to connect those, especially 
sunny coast through Brisbane to the Gold Coast to keep investing in how they connect with one another, the ability of people to live in one, to be in the other very simply for... We'll lose a lot of um, these sort of southeast Queensland soft borders that are sort of theoretical ideas. That's just far enough away that I can't be bothered doing it. You know, there's a little bit of that. You know, I'll, I'll drive to Redcliffe and see a show, but maybe not certainly not Noosa, whatever, because you just get to points of, of what the distance feels like. But I think we're going to change some of that. And I, I think that idea of, I think South East Queensland will start to really be known as something globally, you know. And I think in a funny way, you've seen that happen successfully slash unsuccessfully with Sydney, maybe even arguably with Melbourne. They've become very, this idea of what is really the city is such a broad thing now. I think we're working towards a really good version of that. With, with Gold Coast will continue to have a different culture to Brisbane as will the Sunshine Coast, but I just think there'll be a bit more osmosis between them, and I think things will move really comfortably between them. And you know, the idea of living in one space and working in the other, or living in one space and seeing people and entertaining and and the footprint of your life I think will grow and that will be part of what the effect of the Olympics will be because it will be forced to solve a bunch of connectedness and transport infrastructure which will only be of a long-term benefit. That's so true. They're putting in a lot of infrastructure every time. You would have seen it last Mm. week. They're always doing construction on that road between the two and like you said, if you're going to put all this infrastructure in, there needs to be a purpose for it afterwards. So potentially having a music venue or an art centre would just be wonderful. Oh, a whole bunch of options. My worry with Brisbane, and I've sort of lived here for a decade now, but I moved here for a job. I moved here in the past. I'd, um, my family sort of moved here, and my wife's dad and stepmom were here, but we'd never really, other than when we might have toured for a show, we'd only had, we had a very particular view of Brisbane that wasn't really the truth of Brisbane. <laughs> um, and moving here uh, sort of you know, 10 years ago, whenever it was, has been really interesting because I sort of had frustrations early on of there would be such extraordinary road infrastructure. You'd be like, my God, Brisbane, these are amazing. But there was this real sense of like, are these, what, these are tunnels to where? Like, what's the purpose of me doing this? Like, why do I need to use this infrastructure? I think now what's going to happen is that continual growth of what that investment's allowed and what it continues, as you've sort of said, like the taking the, the, the Bruce or whatever it is to, that takes us to Sunshine, Sunshine Coast. Coast. Yeah, as you sort of notice, you drive it now, and sometimes it's a real pain. But once it's finished, it's going to be a really quick, to get from Caloundra to Fortitude Valley, it's not that long now. No. So that really is going to keep opening up and be a really easy, commutable thing. And hopefully if we can continue to invest in rail and other options that, that move people around, then hopefully we'll have the tunnels to somewhere, the roads to somewhere. We will continue, you know, the idea of an art centre in Mullaney and other other things in the Sunshine Coast. We've seen the investment that happened with the Commonwealth Games into Hodder and the gallery and some of that, and that transformed the Gold Coast. It's culturally, partly during the Commonwealth Games, certainly that helped it, but the Gold Coast is extraordinarily different and better than what it was a decade ago with the investment that was made there. Yeah. Yeah, and things like what Hodder and that now are there. They're real, absolute, significant international arts venues. And I think, I hope that 
they continue growing, but I hope we see more growth in the Sunshine Coast and we see more in Brisbane as well. No, I, I agree. And we're seeing a lot of infrastructure going into Brisbane with the Thomas Dixon Centre's just opened the Queensland Ballet and hopefully the Olympics will put Queensland on the map um, and shine what we have to offer. Yeah. But moving back to the festival, just before we wrap Fair it enough. up, do you have a favourite performance that you're looking forward to? That's very interesting. You asked me that the other day and I mentioned yeah. Alter Boy, but now I've mentioned Alter Boy again. So I need to choose someone else. Well, obviously Holy Holy are a big act. So that's a really good get as a headliner. That sold out um, the Ford a few months ago. So to actually bring it back and offer it for free to audiences, we're really expecting a lot of people to take that up. Yeah. Um, Tra La La Blip are a really good act. So they have a lot of fun, you know. It's a, um, what else is good? Uh, well, and obviously Joel is a big fan and, and you mentioned Melt and he was an artist that we sort of supported a lot through that and he's done so much work and I think the kind of work that he's done has partly been one of... I feel like you probably sense... Look, this probably isn't a surprise to anyone listening to this that you and I are slightly different ages and of slightly different <laughs> generations. So one of the things that I think is really good for people um, that are late teens to mid-twenties is they've probably mostly just known a very accepting Brisbane. You know, Brisbane, I think, has actually become a really accepting space now. You know, we've sort of gone from this perception of a lot of Queensland being wackadoo, hard right, Pauline Hanson types, <laughs> to suddenly having all of these green Oh, MPs and 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 this I yeah and it's like it's amazing that both of those and probably both of those things were sort of true at the same time for a while, and I do think the gradual change in Brisbane has really been led by a lot of artists and a lot of musicians and a lot of venues and this idea of wanting to be more accepting and inviting more people in and I and it's interesting with even like the. You know, the idea of a pride festival and stuff here. One of the reasons we did Melt is, and that's, I'm not denying that's a fantastic event, but a lot of the sort of politicising that surrounded um, uh, queer life in the past is slightly different now because I feel like, and I hope we stay there, we're at a point where people are just a lot more accepting of each other, you know. People do genuinely want to look out for each other more and to give each other a bit more space and oxygen and a bit more of a chance to, to be heard. Um, I, I don't, and I say this as a kind of white dude, I don't think people are as interested in, like, white dudes talking all the time now. And I think that's good. I'm not very interested in white dudes, well, other than myself. Now, I'm not interested in it. I think it's really good that pe more people have platforms, and Brisbane is a great place for that. And so I think those artists like Joel, who's performing there and, and curating what's happening at, at Stranded, I think what he has done in giving people that probably felt there wasn't a platform for themselves to be not just given that but celebrated for it, they're the, the small things that have happened constantly recently in Brisbane to change us. And I feel it has changed the town for the better. I'm so looking forward to it. It's going to be brilliant. We're so privileged to have this free festival for three days. And how can the community join in in the festivities and book tickets online? Um, well, mostly they should just come along. I mean, that's always the best way to, to do things. So if they go to the Valley Fiesta website, they'll get full running orders of what's on where, how they can see things. 
Um, the big ones are obviously the Friday and Saturday night. Some of the events on Sunday you do have to book in for, so and that's better people just checking out. They're, they're really interesting events, but really worth going and just checking out to see what what you would be interested in because you probably do need to register for a lot of those. But a lot of it you don't. You know, the Friday night, just come along to, to King Street. Saturday night, just come along to, to the Brunswick um, Street Mall where most of the venues are off there. They're all only a minute or two walk from from the corner of Brunswick and Anne. So if people come there, there'll be signs up saying what's through the night and also on the website, there'll be all the list of everything that's going on as well. Perfect. Thank you so much, Chris. And I can't wait. It's going to be great. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Daily Red Podcast. You can follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Instagram, LinkedIn and TikTok for more. And we'll be with you again soon. Bye.